Church exists to shine as light in our homes, in our community, and in our world. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. Well, imagine that it's 6 o'clock at your house. 6 o'clock at your house. What are you doing at 6 o'clock on the average weeknight at your house? Are you just sitting down for dinner? Just wrapping up dinner? Maybe you're doing the dishes. You're, whatever you're doing, 6 o'clock, your house, and the phone rings. Ring. Ring. Now, some of you are looking at this going, what is that? There's wires, and what is that? It's an alien device. No, this is an actual phone from our house, okay? So live with my imagination. Um, it rings. It rings. It rings. It rings. Aren't you going to answer that? Why wouldn't you answer it? <laughs> Caller ID. Thank you, Ricky. Why wouldn't you answer why wouldn't you answer the phone as it's coming? Because you have caller ID and it says unavailable. It says local, uh, local call, but the area code is 931. What is going on with these calls, right? You get these calls and you don't answer it. And why is it? It's, it's certainly because you're not expecting it to be one of several kinds of phone calls. I would like to assert that if you thought it was whoever replaced Ed McMahon as the publisher's clearinghouse guy... Uh, calling to tell you that you have just won the jackpot in a sweepstakes, you would, by all means, answer the phone and find out what the Ed McMahon replacement wanted to tell you, right? Um, if it was an attorney who was calling you, representing your long-lost uncle that you never knew you had, but who had died and given you $10 million in inheritance, I think you'd want to answer the call, right? Uh, if it was a good friend of yours who was calling to let you know the results of their medical tests that you knew were coming back that day, or that was calling to tell you about how their job interview went, or something significant that happened with their children, if it was that person, you're going to answer the call. But why is it that you don't answer? Well, you don't answer because you assume that whoever is on the other end of that call is calling to take something from you and not to give something to you. At some level, you don't want to answer because you assume that whoever is calling wants to take something from you. They want to take your vote. They want to take your money. It's, it's somebody calling to say, hey, I'm with XYZ Charity. We'll be in the neighborhood next week. Would you like to leave some items out for us to take and sell? You know, I'm with XYZ Charity. We could really use your donation this year. I'm, you know, with this political candidate, and I'm going to be this recording that's going to talk forever and ever and ever, and I want you to vote for me. It's with this polling company, and I want to call, and I want to ask you all these questions so that we can put a uh, pie chart on MSNBC or Fox News tonight, whatever it is, we don't answer because we assume that whoever is calling wants to take something from us. And if we thought that they were calling to give something to us, we would answer it right away. And, and what's interesting is we live in a world that has conditioned us to think that people come to us wanting to take something and not to give it, and it makes us skeptical when anybody comes to us with anything. And I think that that mentality actually goes so far as to impact our relationship with God. See, if we're not careful, we can begin to think that God ultimately wants to take something from us and not give something to us, and it makes us skeptical, leery, not wanting to answer the call when he shouts out to us. 
Think about it this way. If you're, you're here today and, and I, I stand up and I'm getting ready to look, open God's Word and we're going to look at it together and you're, you're, you're hearing a message, but you're hearing a message that is heading down a path that you think might be somewhat convicting or, or difficult for you to swallow, you may not want to answer that call because you think that the end product of it will be that God will take something away from you that is better than what you have already. Maybe it's you don't want to read God's Word. Have you ever been in a season of your life where you just don't want to open God's Word because you don't really want to see what it has to say because you're afraid it might tell you to do something that you don't want to do? You don't want to read it because ultimately at some level you say, God, I don't want you to take away this thing that I like. And so you don't want to answer that call. Maybe it's you don't want to go to lunch with a Christian brother or sister, a friend from your small group, a friend from your adult fellowship group, somebody that you trust, you don't want to go to lunch with them because you're afraid of how they might challenge you in your relationship with Christ. You don't want to hear it. You don't want to answer that call because you think it's going to make you feel or take you in a place that is ultimately bad for you in some way, in the the math that you're doing in your head. You see, when we begin to think that God is ultimately one who wants to take and not one that wants to give, then we can be so skeptical as to not answer the phone when the sovereign, awesome God of the universe who has the power to shake the earth at 5.1 magnitude and more is calling to interact with us. It's ultimately, it's a challenge to our perception and our understanding of who God is. And really, my hope for us today is that we're going to look into God's word and we're going to be encouraged We're going to be encouraged by the fact that the sovereign God of the universe is not a taker. He is a giver. And so we can trust him and we should answer the phone when he calls. And we're going to do that by looking at John chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, when we look at this message that I'm entitling, Answer the Call. You know, John 10 is a passage of scripture that uses a shepherd sheep image. Pastor Bruce, over the last several weeks, has been walking us through the 23rd Psalm, the Psalm that begins, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And it talks about, we've talked about how this shepherd sheep analogy helps us to understand a little more about God's provision for us and what he has for us and those kinds of things. Uh, Jesus picked up on that same motif in John chapter 10 in his conversation with his disciples and, and others when he begins to describe a little different variation on the analogy of sheep and their shepherd. As a matter of fact, in John 10, verses 9 and 10, Jesus says that he is more than just sheep or uh, more than just a shepherd, but he actually is a door or a gate on a sheep pen. What in the world is he talking about? Well, let's, let's look at the verses and then we'll unpack it and maybe see a couple things that will be encouraging to us today. Let's, let's read them. If you've got a Bible, open up to John 10, verses 9 and 10, or I've got them on the screen behind us. It says, I am the door, Jesus says. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. He will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. You see, in Jesus' statement here in John 10, 9 and 10, uh, he's encouraging us to answer the call. And the first thing that we need to see from this passage is that we need to answer the call to join his flock. Answer the call to join his flock. Now, I mentioned earlier, and we saw it in the first part of verse 9, Jesus refers to himself here as the sheep door or the sheep 
gate. Depending on your translation, it probably uses one of those two words, sheep door or sheep gate. Now, we're used to hearing about Jesus as a shepherd, but what in the world is he referring to by calling himself a door or a gate? That seems like kind of a crude analogy. You know, you can imagine you know, if you've been around an agricultural setting and you've got a fence and you've got like the, you know, the cattle guard, you know, metal on the ground and there's the little entrance into the pasture. In what way is Jesus like that? Jesus says, I am the door or I am the gate to the sheep pen. And in order to really understand that, we really need to, to think about it in terms of what was the function of the door or the gate for sheep in, in old times agricultural settings. You see, most of the time, Sheep spent their days out in the pasture. They spent their time wandering around eating grass and drinking water and spending time out in the fields and in the pasture. But anytime danger would come up, the shepherd would gather the sheep together and he would carry them or or herd them into the pen through the door. He would do that if a predator came up. Maybe it was a bear, maybe it was a lion, maybe it was a wolf. Uh, maybe it was another person who was trying to steal the sheep. Whatever it was, if a, if a predator came around, the shepherd would you know, take the sheep into the pen. He would also do this at night. Sometimes the danger was just nightfall. And every night at nightfall, the shepherd would take the sheep through the door and into the pen. Now, why would the shepherd do that? Why would the shepherd, in the face of danger, whether it be darkness or a predator, why would he take the sheep into the pen? Well, the reason why the shepherd would do it was it was easier to protect the sheep while they were there. Now, think about it. He, if he takes them into the pen, he does not have to protect them from every side. He only has to protect them from one side. They're protected on a, by a fence all the way around, and the shepherd himself would stand in the middle of that door. Sometimes the shepherd himself would serve as the gate, keeping the sheep in. He would stand in that opening between the sheep behind him and the the danger on the outside, and he would say, you're going to have to come through me to get to them. See, the idea of Jesus saying that he is the sheep gate or the sheep door, Jesus is saying, I am the one who can offer you protection. I'm the one that offers you protection. And the idea is, what, what is Jesus getting at? What was Jesus offering us protection from when he said that he was the door or the gate? Well, I think there's at least a couple of categories of things that Jesus offers us protection from. Uh, One of those things is mentioned in Romans chapter 8 in verse 1 when Paul says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, chapter 7 of the book of Romans is all about sin. It's all about the sin that we struggle with, the sin that's a part of our lives, the despair that that can create within our lives. And then in chapter 8, verse 1, Paul says, and now for those who are in Christ, for those who have gone through his door and are in his sheep pen, there is now no danger of being condemned before God because he is protecting us from that condemnation. When Jesus died on the cross, all of the condemnation that our sins deserve was poured out by God upon Christ so that we might be protected from his wrath. And so one of the ways in which Jesus provides protection for his people is he says, I will stand in the way and keep all condemnation from God away from you. I'm going to protect you from 
the ultimate eternal consequences of sin. But I think there are other ways in which Christ protects us, not just from the ultimate consequence of our sin, but I think there's a way where Christ provides for us protection from the everyday temporal consequences of our sin. Uh, the book of Proverbs in chapter 14 and verse 12, and this is uh, a verse that is, is actually echoed uh, several times in the book of Proverbs. It says something very similar to this. But in Proverbs 14, 12, it says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. What that means is that the way that seems right to a man many times is a way of sin. There is a, a, an activity that we might want to participate in. There is something that is appealing to us in some way. And uh, on, the, on the front end, we might not be able to recognize this, but God's Word says that if we follow through with the sin that is appealing to us, it will lead to what Proverbs 14.12 says is death. Or many times, temporal, physical, or emotional consequences in this life. Now think about it. You can think of certain addictions that if they are indulged for a long period of time can lead to consequences in this life. Addiction to pornography can lead to a lack of intimacy. Addictions to drugs can lead to physical impairments for the rest of your life. You know, uh, addictions to anger and outbursts can lead to alienation from others. All of those things that we might indulge in that might be sinful behavior ultimately lead to consequences that provide death to our relationships, death to our physical bodies, death to our freedom or our ability to enjoy life, whatever it is. There is a sense where our sin, though it looks appealing on the front end, ultimately if we follow through with it will lead to dissatisfaction, discomfort, and and, and death or loss of vitality of life if we go that route. And when Jesus says that he offers us protection, come into the pen because I will stand between danger and you, what he, part of what he is saying is, I will stand in the way and offer protection for you, not just against the ultimate consequence of sin, but if you go the places I will show you to go, if you'll stay in the places I tell you to stay, then you will be spared, you will be protected from all of these consequences of your sin. See, Jesus offers us protection. He invites us to be a part of his flock. He is calling and asking us to answer that call to become a part of his flock because he wants to offer us protection. But but it goes beyond that. It goes beyond just Jesus offering us protection. He also wants to offer us provision. Look at what it says in the rest of verse 9. This is such an interesting phrase. It says, if anyone enters by me, he will be saved, and he will go in and out and find pasture. That's an interesting twist of a phrase. Now, sometimes when we think of uh, Jesus as a door, we think of him as we go in and then we never leave. Why would we ever want to leave Jesus, right? Uh, that seems counter. Is this talking about we can, at one point in our life, walk into a relationship with him, and then later on we can walk out of a relationship with him. I mean, what is, talk, what, is he, what is he talking about when he says that we can go in and out of this gate? Well, I think that Jesus' statement that we can go in and out is a statement not of protection, but it's a statement of provision. You see, if, if sheep go into the pen at night, uh, that's a good thing. They're protected from danger. But if sheep stayed in the pen for every moment of their lives, would that be a good thing? 
Absolutely not. It would take no time at all for those sheep to turn that into a big dust bowl. Every piece of vegetation would be chewed up. Any water that was currently in the pen would be, you know, liquidated, uh, literally, very quickly, right? It is not good for the sheep to stay in the pen. It's important for the sheep to leave the pen and go to good pastures so they can get food and water and the things that they need. And what Jesus is saying is he says, look, not only am I the one that will offer protection from you from danger, but I'm the one, if you go through me, through the door that I am, to the places that I show you, you will be provided for in every way that you need. It's a powerful, powerful statement. Jesus says, I am the door through which you get to the things that you need. This means if you want to know how to live life, go through the door of Christ. If you want to know how to be a good husband or a good wife, go through the door of Christ. If you want to know how to be a, the parent that God has called you to be to your children, go through the door of Christ. If you want to know how to live a life that is eternally significant and impact, impacting, go through the door of Christ. Jesus says, I am the door. If you go through me, the places of provision, the places that you ultimately want to go, the places of nourishment and resources that you need will be found if you go through the door that I am showing you. See, we go in and out because Jesus provides for us both protection and provision. Now, when you, when you hear that, and you hear that unpacked, you, know, you might wonder, well, that's great. Why would any of us be so silly as to not follow that direction? Why would any of us not want to be protected from the evil consequences of sin? Why would anybody not want to be provided for the best life that is imaginable? Why would anybody want to not follow those things? And and ultimately, the the, the reasons why are, I think, one one of two directions. It's possible that we don't follow Christ and we don't answer the call when he calls us because in in one sense we can underestimate the danger of sin. We can underestimate the danger of sin. You know, God in his word tells us that the wages of sin is death. The payoff of sin is death. And that's that's death, you know, as we talked about some of the temporal ways, the the, the you know the, the death and the bad consequences that can come in our lives. It's also the ultimately the price that has to be paid, either our life dying as a as a payment for retribution for our sins, or it's Christ's life dying for us if we embrace him by faith. But that's what the Bible says. But it's possible for us to so underestimate the danger of sin that we just minimize it. You know, I was, I was thinking of a story that maybe would help us to, to understand and grasp that a little more, and you may have heard me share this before, um, but I, when I was in high school, um, 16, I get a driver's license, and I get to you know, start driving a car. And I remember right after I was 16, uh, I got stopped on a Friday night by a police officer for exceeding the speed limit. Imagine that, 16-year-old guy with his new driver's license, and he's speeding around town. Um, And, you know, my feeling when I got stopped was, you know, first of all, fear and panic. Uh, But after he gave me a warning, the police officer just gave me a warning, after he just gave me a warning, uh, my feeling was, man, 
that was such a drag that he kind of, you know, got in my mojo on my Friday night. You know, this police officer kind of, you know, started to kind of crimp my style a little bit, right? I mean, I'm driving around in the metallic maroon 1983 Honda Accord hatchback, and this this police officer is taking a little of my joy away. He is overvaluing, he is thinking too much of these speed laws so that going 15 miles per hour over the speed limit would actually be a problem. I remember thinking that. And the, the situation that existed in my hometown was, there was uh, our high school was split in half. And so ninth and 10th graders were in one building. That was a fun place to be. And uh, 11th and 12th grade were in another building on the other side of town. Well, 10th, grade, 10th graders were uh, invited to participate in varsity athletics. And so the 10th graders, when you would finish your sixth hour, would get in a car and you would drive across town or you'd get in a bus and drive across town. Well, during football season, there were like six of us that had driver's license at this point. So you can imagine what this is. Who wants to ride the bus, Right. So the entire football team is going to pour into six cars and head from the middle mid-high to the high school. And it doesn't take long for six testosterone-driven boys to turn that into a race. Who can get from the mid-high to the high school first? And I, I remember that uh, just so, so vividly. And I, we, we would go from one place to the other. Well, there, there was a series of hills that you would drive over down this main street uh, in my hometown from... Uh, the high school, or from the mid-high to the high school. And I was driving there one day up and over these hills, and I crested one hill in time to see my friend's truck up on two wheels. And uh, he had lost control. He overcorrected, and he got his tires down, but he sped headlong into another car who was driving the other direction, head-on collision. Uh, my friend who was riding in the passenger seat of my friend's truck went flying out the window, and I actually saw this happen. Uh, you know, rolling down a hill. He ended up with a big gash on his arm. The car that they uh, hit, the person had serious medical problems, um, you know, for, for, the, for the rest of their lives. And, and I'm watching this whole scene unfold. And you know what? Speeding from that point on never had the same allure to me. Doesn't mean that I'm perfect. Doesn't mean that I never drive over the speed limit. But I never had this perspective that, oh, you know what? That's no big deal. I mean, the, the police officers are telling us to slow down. They're just killing our mojo. They're just hurting the maroon, metallic maroon 83 Accord. No, that wasn't the case. The reality was that there were real reasons for that law, and those laws were there to protect us. And I had undervalued it, and I learned a, a, a difficult lesson that day. And you know, I think the same thing can happen with our attitudes towards sin. We can just undervalue it. Oh, God, that's not that big a deal. You're just kind of crimp my style. You're trying to you know, have me do this or that, and that's not really what I want to do, and that's not really what's best for me, and I know what's better. And We just kind of undervalue. We underestimate the danger of sin. When we read God's Word, it's like seeing that auto accident. It ought to remind us. When we live enough life and we reflect on life enough, we realize that sin is dangerous. And we should not underestimate it. One of the reasons why we could fail to answer the call is because we underestimate the danger of sin. But, but the other thing that can happen is that we can overestimate the delight of sin. We can overestimate the delight of sin. We can become so convinced that sin is going to be so fun that it's going to be worth whatever consequences come our way. In the moment, we're so excited about it. Think about this. Why do we sin? 
We sin because it's attractive to us. We sin because we want to. We have a flesh that resides within us that has a propensity to go its own way. It has a, its own set of desires, and, and those desires are oftentimes the sin. And so because of that, we, we look at sin and we think, wow, that looks really fun, and so I want to do it. But, but think about this. Think about your, think about your life and the, the sin issues you struggle with. How fulfilling is sin five minutes after you commit it? How fulfilling is sin the morning after you commit it? How fulfilling is sin the Wednesday after you commit it? It always under-delivers, doesn't it? It always under-delivers. It's, it's, it always is, leaves us feeling hollow and hurt and, and whatever. I, with statistics the way they are, I'm sure you're aware that so many people in the world today struggle with the issue of pornography. And as a pastor, I've talked to a lot of, of, of people who struggle with pornography. And one of the things that, that is always true in those situations is when, they, when they're talking to somebody about it, it's not like, wow, this is so great. It's always like, this is so shameful. This makes me feel terrible about myself. I can't believe this has got its hooks in me this way. It, when we, when we, but when we give into it, when we give into temptations in those ways, when we give into sin, what we're doing is, we're overestimating how much pleasure that would actually give us. You know, insert scenario here. Think about the last time you were in an intense argument with somebody, maybe your spouse, and you're thinking, you know what, I can say this, and I know it's going to be mean, I know it's really going to hurt them, but if I say it, I'm going to feel so good that I said it. And then you say it. And immediately you want to take it back. See, the reality is we cannot and should not overestimate the pleasure that sin brings us, the delight of sin. Sin is short-lived in its faith. See, Jesus calls to us and he's offering us his protection and provision. He's offering us to be a part of his flock. Are we going to answer the call? Now, in order to really drive this home a little bit, Jesus gives us another point, another thing for us to remember in John 10.10. 10. And I'm going to put a, our analogy, I'm going to kind of stretch it over the top of this because maybe it'll help us. To, to apply it a little more. And, and, and according to our analogy, we'd say it this way, you know, uh, check the caller ID and answer the phone. Check the caller ID and answer the call that Christ is calling out to us. Really, what verse 10 does, Jesus is going to identify two sources of input into our lives. He's going def- to define for us, he's going to give a caller ID to a, a set of inputs into our life that would seek to hurt us, and he's going to identify a caller ID for those, the influence that will seek to save us or to offer us maximum life. And he does that in verse 10. He says this, he says, the thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy, but I came that they may have life and may have it abundantly. Now, Jesus begins by saying that there are Thieves that we will interact with in our lives. Thieves that will come to kill and steal and destroy. That's how he describes them. Well, who are these thieves? Well, Jesus 
gives us some context for this in John chapter 10 and verse 1, when he describes the thieves as anyone who enters into the sheep pen by inappropriate means and tries to take sheep out by inappropriate means. In other words, if the appropriate way for a flock of sheep to move about is through in and out the door that the shepherd guards and provides through, then anybody who wants to direct somebody away from the shepherd's call would be a thief to the sheep. Now, when you apply that to the situation, the context where Jesus was addressing, the people that were ultimately trying to do that in Jesus' day were the other religious leaders, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Sanhedrin and all these people in Jesus' day that were trying to tell the nation of Israel that Jesus wasn't really the Messiah, that he wasn't the, the, the way to have a relationship with God, that he wasn't offering them, them truth and life. By, by The thieves were those who were saying, no, no, Jesus is not that one. Instead, follow us into our religion, into our whatever. And what, what, what comes up into my mind as I hear that is that burglars don't always, thieves don't always look like thieves. You know, if thieves look like a thief, we would easily identify it, right? I mean, take the Hamburglar, for instance. I mean, you know, look at this guy, right? I mean, if, if, if every thief looked like, like that, be easy, hey, thief, you know? He's going to get the burger. And, and sometimes we, we forget that the thieving influences in our lives don't always look like that, do they? The thieving influences in our lives sometimes look like friends. Sometimes they look like religious leaders. Sometimes they look like family. Sometimes they look like people that you work with. Sometimes they look like these nebulous influences like the world or entertainment or the American dream or whatever it is. They're thieving influences because ultimately if any influence comes into your life and says, go this way, not the way that Christ is saying, then ultimately what they're doing is they're trying to rob you of Christ's best for your life. And so Jesus calls them what they are. They're thieves. Ultimately, they all work for the ultimate thief, right? For Satan. But there are thieving influences on our life. And when we get a message into our life, we need to check the caller ID. Is this a message that is pointing me to trust Christ more to follow Him and, and His Word and His ways more? Or is this a message that is ultimately telling me to do my own thing, to go my own way, to follow them in some random direction? If it's a message that is pointing us away from Christ, then it's a thief that wants to rob you. But Jesus gives us a second identification at the end of the verse. He says, after He's talking about the thief, He says of Himself, He says, I came that they, meaning us, may have life and may have it abundantly. Jesus came to give us life to the maximum. Now, this doesn't mean that he came to give us maximum dollars, and it doesn't mean that he came to give us maximum comfort, and it doesn't mean that he came to give us, you know, some of the things that we might want to fill in that gap with, right? But it says that he came to give us an abundant life. What it really means is that Jesus came to give us the best life that is possible for a human to live, and that life is spent living in relationship with his creator or her creator. The best life, the abundant life, is the life that is connected to Christ. And you know, you, you, many times we get stuck on this fact 
Because we think ultimately that Christ is going to offer us something that we don't want to do, and so we don't want to trust him fully. And the classic example is, I don't want to really sell out to following Christ because he might make me be a missionary to Africa. Right? Have you ever, you ever thought that or heard that as an illustration or whatever? Because I don't want to really get all the way in because they might you know, take me someplace I don't want to go and do something I don't want to do that I'm not equipped for or whatever. You know, the, the funny thing is, I know people that Christ has led to be missionaries to Africa. And you know what? They're joyful people, right? When he called them to go, he provided them the skills to succeed, and he provided them the relationships to thrive, and he provided them the heart to be there. And so the best place they could be is in Africa. You know, our, our Christy uh, Liggett, now Christy Sauer, got married a couple of weeks ago, uh, was a you know, a friend of ours that served in, in North Africa for quite some time, Wildwood's partnered in ministry with her. But it's interesting, her, you know, they uh, have, have pursued another venue right now. They're in Denver uh, starting a business, she and her new husband. And uh, one of the things about that experience of them being in, in Denver is that that's a, that's a hard stretch for them. We think, well, it'd be hard to go to Africa. For them, it's, it's another stretch. Excuse me, another stretch to come back to America, right? Because it was so joyous to be in Africa. And, and when we begin to think that God is going to call us to something that we will hate, then we've attributed to God something that he is not. It doesn't mean that he's not going to call us to things that are hard, but he will match our desires to his calling. Same thing is with forgiveness. We may think, I don't want to, I don't want to answer the call to forgive because I would feel better holding on to the grudge that I have held against this person for quite some time. But you know what? The opposite is true. Talk to somebody who has held a grudge for a long time. How happy and peaceful are they? And on the flip side, talk to somebody who has forgiven somebody who has wronged them greatly. How much freedom do they have? See, the abundant life is the life that follows Christ. He came not to take, but to give us the best life that there is. And you know, that cuts at the core of who we are because ultimately what God desires from you and what God desires from me is that we trust Him. And if we feel like God can't be trusted because He doesn't want good for us, He wants to harm us, then we will never answer the phone when He calls. But if we can wrap our minds around the fact that He is the gate that offers protection and provision, that He is the one who is calling us to offer us the best life that there is, then we will gladly answer the call, regardless of how convicting it is or how difficult it is, because it deals with the very essence of the character and the nature of God. And again, it's been my hope that today we get a glimpse of who Christ is, that it would be beautiful to us, and that we might trust Him more. Let me close it. Father, I, I thank you for today and for your word and for your truth. Father, I thank you that we have had the opportunity today to get a clear picture of who you are, that you are not one who takes, you are one who gives, and you are offering us an abundant life. Father, you're offering us a life that is free from condemnation, that is free from the uh, failures and fallings of, of sin and the pain that, that repetitive sin can cause in our lives. Father, you're offering us to walk in the directions of ultimate provision for our lives. 
And Father, because of that, I pray that you would create in each of us a heart that is eager to answer the call, that we would be eager to read your word, eager to hear your word taught, eager to talk with others about your word and to apply it within our lives because we believe and know that you are taking us to greener pastures. We thank you. We pray these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.